God. Let's get out our Bibles today. Look at Luke chapter 1. Like I've already said, it's so good to be back here with you today. It's good to see uh, Pastor and Mrs. Gunner here. And uh, so thankful for them, the heritage here of the church, and the time that blood, sweat, and tears poured into this place uh, to be the church that it is now. And we're so thankful uh, for Pastor Gunter and his leadership. And I'd be thank you for those that uh, noticed I don't look as good as I normally do. I'm missing my wife. Um, she is not with me this morning. I had to leave Indianapolis without her yesterday. She had not been feeling well, but she will be with us tonight. We got her another flight, and uh, she'll be here at the services tonight. Uh, thank you for those uh, that have been praying for her. But let's uh, look here at Luke chapter 1. We're beginning a series uh, here on the book of Luke. You can stay seated for just a minute. Uh, we're going to title it, This is Jesus, and uh, we're going to go through the book of Luke. It's really going to take about 90 messages, uh, probably, to cover this book on, on Sunday mornings, and as we look here at the book, we know that Luke wrote two books, the book of Luke and uh, the book of Acts, and these accounts given by Luke uh, are very detailed. He was a doctor, and there's more details and more stories in, in the book of Luke than any other uh, gospel, and there are many facts, historical facts presented here that have been uh, and throughout the other Gospels that have been tracked down, have been uh, proofread, that have been historically um, held up to the test, and they all have made it because of the inspired Word of God that we have. And aren't you glad that there are facts to back up our beliefs? And uh, we understand that Luke's account is an accurate one, it's an orderly one, it's a historically true account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can believe it with confidence, and we can look to it for help and if we look here, as we'll read in just a moment, this was addressed to a man by the name of Theophilus. He was a friend of Luke's. He was a Roman man, new to the faith. And uh, some believe that he possibly even supported the works of Luke financially as he uh, had put much time and effort into writing uh, both of those books. But whatever the case, you know, this was written with the intent to strengthen the faith of an individual named Theophilus. And I want to tell you today that it can do and will do the same for us as we look to it for help. And he wrote this book under the inspiration of God, and he focuses on the humanity of Christ while also showing us he is perfect both in his life and in his character. And as I began the study of the book, I, I kept being pointed as a reference to Sunday school this morning, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where it says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And we could use that verse and make it really the theme verse for this book of Luke. And, and we could even use that verse to divide the book of Luke into three sections. First of all, we understand, as we're going to be looking at this morning over the next several weeks, that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And we're going to be looking at some of those things. And before too long, we'll be getting to the point of, of Jesus in his earthly ministry seeking and going after the one, as we spoke of this morning, and going after those that uh, needed to know of him and healing and, and doing all the things that he did. And then lastly, we see Jesus is saving. He is coming, he is seeking, he is saving. And I'm thrilled uh, to start this series. And, and here in Luke chapter 1, it's, it's not a passage. Um, up my ministry to this point, I have done a few little uh, series here and there, but the most, point, most part, I have uh, hand-picked sermon text. And uh, I, I would not preach on an on a extremely regular basis, but we are starting here, Luke chapter 1, a, a text that I might not have picked for a long time, but I'm thankful to, that I've been able to study it, and I have absolute confidence that this is what God has us to, uh, to get started here um, as, as we begin to pastor it here at the church, and I have absolute confidence it is the message for today that God intends for us to hear. So let's all stand together 
And we begin reading there, Luke chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning right witnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having per- had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things, wherein thou hast been instructed. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it is, God, to be here together this morning. Lord, I thank you so much for the service we've had to this point, Lord, the singing, the the praise, the worship that's been given up to you, Lord, for the special that we've heard, for the the giving, Lord, of of this congregation. And God, I pray that you would help us at this moment, God, to lay apart, Lord, all filthiness, Lord, all superfluity of naughtiness, so we can receive your engrafted word today. Lord, I pray that you would help us, God, to, uh, Lord, just be ready here this morning, God, to apply whatever truths you have for us to apply. Be with me as I preach. God, I pray that you fill me with your spirit and use me, Lord, as your messenger today. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we approach this book today, we understand to this point in history there had been a silence of God. If we were to go back and and study the timeline and the history, about 400 years have passed since God last spoke to the prophet Malachi. We could go back 700 years to the point of before the birth of Jesus and the birth of, of John the Baptist, and the prophet Isaiah spoke of the one who would eventually prepare the way of the Lord, 700 years since that prophecy to this point. As we look at the time of this, of this day and the time that the angel came to Zacharias and Zacharias here in the temple, we understand as we, as we look there in verse 5 that Herod was ruling. And we also understand all the things that had gone on and, and with the Pharisees and, and those in, in control of the worship there in Jerusalem. And you know the spiritual leaders in that day for the most part, many of them were more focused on tradition and and the law than they were with a relate in a relationship with their God. Zacharias was was different than many when it came to that aspect. And then as we look at the world rulers of that day, Herod was uh, successful and Herod was strong, but he was a wicked man. He had proved his battle skills in, in the wars against the Arabs. He had brought the land into subjection in Rome. He was in full control of the area, but he was a shrewd, cunning and cruel man. Uh, we, we study history and we can understand that he was a man of small stature. One may say he had little man syndrome. He had a, he had a paranoia of, of someone seeking to overthrow him. He had nine wives. 
And he executed one of them really because he felt like it. He had many of his sons executed because he thought they were plotting against him to take over his kingdom. And it was common saying in those days that it was safer to be a pig than to be a son of Herod. And we're going to see he made a decree for the firstborn sons to be murdered. But we look here at the beginning of this book and we find shallow spiritual leaders and wicked world leaders. Does that sound familiar? Dark days. As we begin this, this book of Luke, we were reminded that no matter how dark times may be, no matter how cold the spiritual temperature may get in society, there is always a remnant of devoted and obedient people that truly live for God that God can use. You know, at the beginning of this book, we see two people, Zacharias and Elizabeth, a husband and wife that, first of all, were people of God. And they were godly in their conduct. Verse 6 says, And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. See, Zacharias, a priest of the Levites. And we can look back in the history. Many commentators will debate how many there were. I'm going to say there were 20,000 priests in Jerusalem in those days. And Zacharias is one of those men. And his name means Yahweh has remembered. And then we see his wife, Elizabeth. She was a descendant of Aaron. She was a descendant of the, of the priestly line. She was a godly woman who had served God with her life to this point. So we see this wicked society. We see wicked world leaders. We see uh, shallow spiritual leaders. And we see these two people righteous, righteously living in that society. I want to encourage you today that righteous living is possible in a wicked world. You know, the Bible refers to these two as, as just or holy. That means they had more than just an outward obedience to the law. There are many people that had an outward obedience to the law. This means they had a reverence for God. For their life, they had, they had spent their life serving God, and they had spent their life not only obeying what he said, but doing it with the right heart and having a pure heart before their God. And, and we see now they're late in life. It says they are well stricken in years. I want to tell you, it's, it's possible to be faithful to your old age and through it. It's possible. Also, I want to encourage you this morning that it's not just possible, but it's a command. First Peter chapter 1, he says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Every area of life. Then he says, Because it is written, Be ye holy. Why? For I am holy. The expectation is on me to, to be a holy man before God. The expectation is on you to, to be holy before God and to strive to please him in all you do, to, to stay out of sin, to stay out of the things of this world, to live a separated life unto God. We see righteous people in a wicked society. But we also see that these were righteous people in a wicked society that had a life of grief. It says there in verse 7, and they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren. Did you know that righteous living does not exempt you from difficulties? <laughs> Doesn't exempt you from the trials? These people were childless, they were barren, and if we were to, we look in this day, many people want, want to be parents, and that's difficult, but we look back in this day, and for a, a man and a woman not to have any children was a reproach on them. A shame, a disgrace, and we can look in the Old Testament times and, and they would even see it maybe even as something as a, a cause for divorce because they could not be blessed with a son. 
And there's this reproach, as we're going to see Elizabeth reference here in just a little bit, this, this shame, this disgrace that was on their life because they never had a child into, into their old age. But what do we see them doing? They continued to serve. They continued to live for God. You know, it's sad to say, but less trouble than that is enough for many Christians to take a step back. Less heartache than that is enough for many Christians not to live as God had commanded them to live. And I want to encourage you today that to be determined to serve God even when it's tough, even when it's difficult, even when you have a hard time comparing your blessings to the blessings of others, we need to be determined to serve God and not stop. How do you respond to life's disappointments? If you've been disappointed ever, ever before, raise your hand. <laughs> we had uh, Thanksgiving this past Thursday, and um, there's a message I wanted to preach to you last month. I'm going to preach it to you tonight. How many still have turkey in the fridge? Anybody? Okay. Eat a piece of turkey tonight so it doesn't feel weird when I preach a Thanksgiving message after Thanksgiving. But uh, we had Thanksgiving Thursday, and my wife is a, a great cook. You'll find that out at some point here. And uh, her mom's a great cook. Her mom owned a bakery for, for several years, and uh, we have a lot of good desserts. And one thing that I really like that my wife makes is a pecan cheesecake. And uh, those of you that make a uh, good cheesecake like that, you know it's somewhat expensive to make. It it's, takes a lot of time, takes a lot of different things. You're waiting on it to cool down. You're, you're getting all these things in order for it to be exactly what it needs to be. And I was very much looking forward to it. And to a point as to last year, I remember I got one slice on Thanksgiving and my wife allowed that to go home with somebody else. And I have not let it go. And I told her when she was putting it together that on Thursday morning, she was getting the pecans ready to pour on there before we left. And, and uh, I said, I need to make sure that whatever's left comes with us this year because I need it. And so that was the plan. And uh, we had Thanksgiving at my wife's brother's house this year. Normally it's been at ours the last several years, but with us moving and everything, it was easier to do it this way. And I loaded up the turkey in the back. I loaded up a few of the sides my wife had make, my, made. And then we're walking out, and, and Hallie has the cheesecake in, on this beautiful platter in her hand. And I have a couple things, and, and she turns around, and all of a sudden it was like a demon pushed it off that tray. And it splatted, splattered right there on her front porch. And I just saw everything I was thankful for right there on the ground. No, I'm just playing. I, I, I saw this. And I looked at her and I saw the disappointment in her face. And I, know how I was, knew how I was feeling at that point. And she didn't say anything, as many of you have been in a similar spot probably. And she just went and sat in the car. Amen. And I stood there. And I went inside and I got plastic spoons. <laughs> And I went out to the porch and I said, kids, do you want some cheesecake? And, and uh, I got down on my knees with, with four of the kids. Jackson's a germaphobe. He didn't want any part of it. But we ate off the top of that, the top part that wasn't touching the ground. And we enjoyed, I enjoyed at least a serving of cheesecake, maybe more, there on my front porch. You know, losing a cheesecake is disappointing. But it's really not that bad, is it? When things don't go as you hope they will, when life brings disappointments, how do you respond? How do you respond when the diagnosis came? 
How do you respond when someone that you looked up to in your life may have let you down? How do you respond when the children you may have poured your life into and maybe made a decision against the things of God? Or how do we respond when someone in the church may offend you? How do we respond in difficult situations? You know, difficulties can make us bitter or they can make us better. You know, we look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they were definitely uh, people that had given their lives to God and people that had this heartache, this reproach, but we see service in the trial. If we look there in verse 8, Zechariah is doing exactly what God, God had called him to do. And we have accounts of the number of priests in Israel during those days. They say twelve to 20,000, some more. These priests were lo- uh, divided up into 24 divisions. Each division they would serve in the temple twice a year. And if we were to take the low number of that amount of 12,000, there would have been 500 on duty the day that Zachariah, Zacharias served there in the temple. By the casting of lots, the duty of burning incense fell on this old priest named Zacharias. I want to ask you, do you think it was a coincidence that Luke added this little bit of information or do you think it was the inspiration of God that allows us to see God's hand involved in Zacharias being chosen that particular day? You know, most priests would, would spend their lifetime serving never to be selected to burn the incense in the temple. All the other priests are praying outside and Zacharias and two, two assistants walk there into the temple. And one would carry this, this golden bowl that was filled with, with hot coals from the altar. Zechariah would follow with the incense, and there would be the other that would go in first, and he would clean out the ashes from the previous time of worship. The first would walk in, and he would clean the ashes out of the bowl, and he would worship, and he would slowly back away. And then the second would come with the hot coals, and he would place the hot coals, and he would worship, and then it was time for Zacharias to go pour the incense on the altar. After those two priests left, the the pipes would blast and announce that it was time for prayer. Zacharias there at the altar would pour that incense there onto those hot coals and the result would be a large cloud of smoke that would rise to the ceiling there of the temple and, and, and ease out the top and the room he was in would be filled with that beautiful smell. And that would represent the prayers of God's people. The priests would then offer up prayers. I want to tell you today that the prayers of God are a beautiful thing. The prayers of God's people to him are a sweet thing. And God desires us to pray. We need to be people of prayer. We need to pray, as the Bible says, without ceasing. But as he was offering these prayers, they were on behalf of the children of Israel, praying for the coming of the Messiah. And he would pray that prayer as those before him would, and He would worship and he would slowly back away from the altar as his assistants had done before and then he would leave. But as we read in the story, we know that Zacharias did not make it to that part. As soon as his prayer finished, an angel appeared. And and we look here in verse 11 and 12 and we see the angel appearing to him with this message. We understand that it was Gabriel and he had appeared centuries earlier to Daniel with a message from God in Daniel chapter 8 and 9. He's appearing here to Zacharias with this message, and you're going to see next week he appears to Mary with a message from God. And Gabriel was sent by God to carry good news to this priest whose wife was barren. 
And it says, when Zacharias saw him, verse 12, he was troubled. And fear fell upon him. Don't judge Zacharias here. <laughs> That's a pretty normal response. We look in the Word of God and in other accounts of angels coming. And, you know, an angel appeared to Mary. It says she was troubled. In chapter 2 of Luke, you're going to see some shepherds that had to be told, fear not. If we look later to the garden tomb, when the angels appeared to those strong soldiers, what did they do? They fainted. It's a normal response to angelic beings. And this angel, Gabriel, told Zacharias, fear not. What was his announcement? For thy prayer is heard. Is he referring to the prayer Zacharias and Elizabeth had no doubt prayed time and time before, again for a child? Or is he referring to the priestly prayer for the Messiah? I, I believe this morning, for, for, foremost, he was referring to the prayer for the Messiah. But do you think God allowed these two to be one? Do you, allow, do you think that he allowed both of those prayers to, to work together? I, I do. And as we see what is happening here, and as we see the reproach that had been on Zacharias and Elizabeth, I truly believe they were not kept from having children because of sin or because of chastisement. I believe they were kept from having children basically on a timing issue. You know, God was working to bring about the Messiah, and he caused the lot to fall on Zacharias, and he caused him to pray the priestly prayer. Then, then God announces through Gabriel to this priest on this day, who him and his wife were barren, that they were going to have a son, and he would be the forerunner for the Messiah. What an awesome thing. This baby would be the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. Look at Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. I hope you're enjoying this today as we study this together. Malachi chapter 3, Luke is offering us information here after a 400-year period of silence. We look here in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come saith the Lord of hosts. It is that prophecy that is referring to John the Baptist. Zacharias is a priest. He's a man of God. And understanding that, Zacharias would no doubt have been familiar with this prophecy. And as the angel speaking to him and declaring this to him, he must have and he had to have immediately realized the significance of Gabriel's words. And this angel's telling him his son would be the one who'd prepare the way for the long-awaited Messiah that he and his forefathers had prayed for for years. And what Zacharias and Elizabeth thought was a reproach on their life, God was going to use to do some amazing things. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And you may be here this morning not always understanding what God is doing in your life. But what we can believe and what we can trust in is that as we stay faithful and obedient to him, he will bring what is best for our good and for his glory. Your trial has a purpose. So Zacharias receives this. What was his response? 
Verse 18, and Zechariah said unto the angel, praise the Lord. I will run and tell everybody right away. Is that what we see? It says, and Zechariah said unto the angel, whereby shall I know this? We see some unbelief here. And he's, he's demanding a, a sign from the angel. I, I didn't look this up in the Greek, but I, I understand basically what he's saying is prove it. Show me. It's a cynicism. A feeling of distrust or something isn't going to work out as it has been told. You would think that Zacharias, the one who had been chosen by God to, to, to be a priest, the one who had been chosen by God to take the incense before him that day and to pray that prayer and to think of the timing and the angel, this powerful being before him and this announcement, you would think all of these things would have encouraged Zacharias' faith at that point, but it didn't. And instead of looking to God by faith, the priest looked at himself and his wife and decided that the birth of a son was impossible. And he wanted some assurance beyond just the plain words of an angel, God's messenger. He wanted maybe a sign from God. You know what Zacharias did? Zacharias looked at the natural possibilities. What did he say? He said, whereby shall I know this? And then he said, for I am an old man and my wife is well stricken in years. He goes, uh, possibly you, you thought a younger priest would be in here today and the message <coughs> is for him. I know you chose me, but maybe it's been a while since you've seen me or, or thought about my age. I, I, I don't know if you understand that we're beyond that point of, of childbearing and, 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 and having, a, having a son. And So often, just as Zacharias, we have our eyes set on the difficulty instead of the promises of God. And often we are overwhelmed by the power of the enemy or the temptation of the enemy, the, the cynicism that comes from the devil. Maybe God has called us to do something or instructed us to do something and all we feel is the fear or the doubt. What does the Bible say about that? For God has not given us the spirit of fear. If God has called you to do something or you know God has you to do something, something clear in his word he's instructed us to do and you don't do it because of fear, that fear is not of God. And if it's not of God, who's it of? And he sought for a sign. So many Christians are waiting on the, everything to be perfect. To do what it is that they know God wants them to do. Why do we doubt God? Why, why do we find ourselves in a similar position to where we find Zacharias this morning? We doubt him even though he's proven himself, not only in our life, but in the history of, of the world. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 32, <coughs> verse 17 says, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and outstretched arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Do you think that if the God that created this world and spoke it into existence, the God that guided the Israelites through all that they had to overcome, the God that raised himself from the dead, has called you to do something for him that he has what you need to do? Do you believe that he can? There's a man by the name of Charles Blondin who in 1859 became the first man in history to walk across the Niagara Falls by way of tightrope. He had done this at many different places, and 
an activity coordinator, a man that was big with circuses and, and, and fairs and many different shows, found out about this man and gave him a proposition and said, we can do a tightrope, 160 feet to 270 feet over the, over the falls that you can walk across, and we can get all kinds of people to come. There's a lot of money in it for you. And as they promoted this, over 100,000 people showed up to watch this man walk across the Niagara Falls on tightrope. No safety harness, no net. 1,100 feet across. This walk that he did made him very famous and, and wealthy. He was successful his first attempt, and he actually went on to do it 17 other times, drawing more and more crowds each time. As things developed, he would do it a little harder, and he'd first of all just walk across it on his feet, and then maybe he'd put a wheelbarrow across, and another time he would walk across it on stilts, and he would ride a bicycle, he would ride it blindfolded, and he would stop in the center to do tricks. Another time he went out with a small stove on his back, and he cooked an omelet in the middle of the falls. Another time he walked across carrying people on his back. But on his first attempt, as he walked across, he would look at people again and he would grab another object to go across with and he would say, do you believe I could do it? And they would say yes. And he walked across to the wheelbarrow and he got to the other side and he looked at a man and he said, do you believe I can do it with a person in the wheelbarrow? And the man said yes. And he said, get in the wheelbarrow. And the man said no. <laughs> in our daily Christian life, we say, or we anticipate, you're sitting in the pew this morning, you may say, you know, if God called me to do something, I know he could. But when it comes time for us to get in the wheelbarrow, how often do we say no? You know, the Bible says without faith it is what? Impossible to please him. Zacharias said unbelief and we see him chastised. Because of it. There in verse 20, the angel spoke unto him and he said there, and, and behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed. Zacharias asked for a sign and God gave him a sign, didn't he? But it wasn't the one he wanted. Be careful what we wish for. You know, it's a dangerous to thing to place our faith on certain actions of God if he'll do something. God, I'll, I'll give you my life if you heal my child or if you heal my mom or my dad or my family member or if you take this disease away from me. God, I will serve you. I'll do this if my business prospers. God, I'll do this if you, you keep me strong. God, I'll, I'll do this for you if you do this in my life. You know, the punishment that God gave Zacharias was really not as bad as it could have been. He struck him dumb, but he could have struck him dead. You know, we see these two righteous people continuing in the midst of a reproach. We see Zacharias making this mistake and a lack of faith. We see the consequences of it. But as we look at Zacharias, the character, we look at Elizabeth, the character. There's another character in this story, and it's God. And as we've seen what these people have, I also want to see the providence of God in this situation. 
God has the whole world and eternity in view all the time. He is in absolute control. He is sovereign God. And we see his providence, first of all, even when we doubt. There, there verse 20, it, it says what's going to happen to him there in the first half. And then it says, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen the vision in the temple, for he beckoned open unto them and remained speechless. And even though Zacharias did not understand what was happening, and even though he doubted it, God knew and God, God did exactly what he said he'd do. He's always in control of every situation, providing in ways we can't see. And even though Zacharias responded wrongly, God still did what he said he'd do. But he was chastised. I'm so thankful as I was studying this and thinking of this this week and just making an application in my life. I'm, I'm thankful that his unbelief did not cancel God's work. But his unbelief robbed him of a blessing. You know, God has blessed all of us today. It's evident this morning, but is there a chance that we've robbed ourselves of more blessings than what we have because of unbelief? You know, Zacharias was going through all this. We just read there, verse 21 and 22, 23, and by now the people had realized that something unusual had gone on. They've seen the priest go in and out for years. And the serving priest did not ordinarily take so long. What has become of Zacharias? When would he come out? Would he ever come out? But after a while, he eventually came out of the temple, and there's no doubt possibly a sigh of relief as he comes out. And, but as they were greeted by him, instead of hearing how it was, and hearing his opinion on everything that went on in there and how the experience was, it finally dawned on them that something happened. They wondered what kind of vision he had received. And then the first game of charades ever recorded in history happened. Zacharias must have, must, must have tried to act out and, and gesture to them what had gone on. And he wanted to testify the good news, but he couldn't, could he? Because of his lack of faith, he lost the opportunity to verbally Shout out the good news of what God was going to do through his family. And that the Messiah wasn't too far off. The providence of God, even in doubt. Are you thankful for that? We see God's providence in the doubt, but we also see God's providence when we're patient. Elizabeth was patient. And look what God did in his time. Verse 24. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me, to take away my reproach among men. This woman for years had experienced heartache and difficulty, disappointment, unanswered prayer. She'd faced this reproach, this shame on her life. And in, in, in the culture that she lived in, in ways really her husband couldn't even understand what she felt. But as she continued to be faithful to God, even when it seemed beyond possibility, God stepped in 
and took away the reproach. God's providence is ever-present. But our reaction to God's message, our reaction to God's blessings, God's promises, determine the amount of blessing we receive from it. As we're finishing this morning, what do we see here for us? First of all, we understand there's a right way and a wrong way to respond to God's message. Next week, you're going to look at Mary and how it was received, and the contrast is unavoidable when we look at how Zechariah received it and then how Mary responded. I want to ask you this morning, do you believe God? Are you willing to get in the wheelbarrow? And then we also see in this story a couple that was godly, a couple that loved God, a couple that lived for God. And we see this man who was chosen by God to perform this task in the temple, and he had this one moment that we have recorded where he did not respond as he needed to. He failed God. We see a life of godliness leading to this lack of faith. And then as we see the rest of this story, we see it followed by godliness. I want to encourage you this morning. Don't despair that you're cast off from God and if you have fallen into distrusting him for a time. If you're in that spot in your life, what you need to do is go back to him. Don't don't look at that as fair. Don't look at that as a reason to, to stop or not to get back where you need to be. Make a decision to finish strong. We see a lot about God in just this first chapter of the book of Luke. We We know that God executes his plan for his glory. We also see through the story that God unfolds his plan in his own time. And then that plan he has, he accomplishes with immeasurable power. That's what we know about God. So what do we do in response to that? Trust him. Trust him even when things seem impossible. Trust him when promises seem forgotten. And trust him by living an obedient life in a wicked world. When God speaks to you, have faith. And that is how we have right living and a right response to the message of God. Every every head bowed, every eye closed. As Bethany and David come up to the front and Bethany begins to play.